1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you have a Bible or if you have a smartphone, uh, I want to review uh, last week's portion of this. Uh, we're in a series called It Is Good, uh, and we're referencing three statements the Apostle Paul made in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he started by saying, it is good, along with other instructions that he gives regarding love, romance, and sex. And uh, this is a portion that we read yesterday, uh, last Sunday, uh, with regard to the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. I'll start reading in verse number 10. He said, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, referencing an uh, actual statement that Jesus made in Matthew chapter 19. He says, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife. And we really leaned into this fact last week where uh, the Apostle Paul, in a different letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter number five, uh, makes a statement in referencing Genesis chapter two, where he says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, and the two will be united and become one flesh. And he says, and This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. We talked about the mystery of two becoming one through the covenant of marriage, but then we talked about the mystery of one becoming two through divorce and how it's possible for two people to love each other so deeply and yet be at a place where they can hardly talk to one another except through attorneys, through this ugly thing called divorce that has ravaged our families and we've all been impacted by it. We said that there was grace, and this is a message for people for this day forward. And today, I want to build upon what we talked about last week um, and give you an example that I think will be helpful uh, to all of us as we move forward. Uh, if you're married, if you hope to be married, if you have been married, hopefully today will be helpful for you. Um, so uh, today, I'm going to ask my parents, Gary and Kathy Crawford, to come and share a portion of their story with you. So would you help me put your hands together and welcome my mom and dad, Gary and Kathy. If you notice, my mom brought some Kleenexes with her. She is a crier, unashamedly. It's a God-given gift, and uh, she's actually passed that down to me, so I'm going to do my best not to cry as well. Um, Mom and Dad, thanks. Welcome to, uh, welcome to the stage. We'll put that right there in between us. That's perfect. Um, uh, this, is, this is somewhat difficult. Let's be honest. Um, I've shared a portion of your story before, Dad, in a previous sermon. You've actually shared a portion of your story before. Um, when I was around th four years old, my parents were divorced. Um, uh, I, about three years later or so, they were remarried. I've seen uh, the divorce side of being a child. I've seen uh, the side of a child where I get to attend my parents' wedding. Uh, it's a pretty unique situation, but uh, you guys have been graceful enough to share a portion of your story, and as we've kind of talked this week uh, about a few things, um, this is difficult because uh, 
they're going to be discussing, and they have been discussing this week, details that they have buried years and years ago. Um, and so this has been difficult for them, actually more difficult than I thought it would be. So uh, I'm sorry for asking you to do this, but thank you at the same time. Um, let's start this way. Let's start this way. Share with us your journey to finding love together. How did you meet? How did you fall in love? How did you get to be um, the incredible parents of two awesome boys? Well, first, let me iterate exactly what Bronson said. Is um, It was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be because basically we ask God to forgive us. And he says he cast our sins into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered anymore. So back in the time when we got our life straightened out, I actually asked God to deprogram my mind and reprogram it with him and his Holy Spirit and just wash it all away. And he did. So it it's, it's, as we begin looking at timelines, I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, it really was hard to just dig it back up. So I'm going to let Kat start and talk to you, and, but just, just, just know that it's been difficult to try to, to bring it out, even though it's a testimony, and uh, it's been a long time. I want to I interrupt him. I'm not going to do this a lot. Uh, we only gave him one microphone. That's intentional. Um, they're going to share a lot of memories, um, and I want to share with you one memory that I have of my parents fighting. One of my most vivid memories as a child was my parents, one of their fights in particular, where, I mean, they were just, I mean, at each other's throats. And my dad says to my mom, with a finger pointed in her face, get thee behind me, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, I thought the house was coming down. Um, I don't know. So anyway, we give them one microphone so that they won't fight. That way they, only one can speak at a time. Let's go. Um, he, he's never said that to me again. <laughs> um, I was 18 years old, and I worked at Stevens County Hospital in the business office. And um, I attended, I signed up for an EMT class to become an EMT. And so um, the first night of the class, I walk in, and there's this um, fireman in his uniform, <laughs> sitting there, and um, I just really thought that he was the cutest thing I'd ever seen, um, and so um, he was very, very shy. Can you believe that? <laughs> um, he, you know, didn't say anything, just kind of stepped, you know, kind of sat back uh, all alone, and I remember um, the first words that I, I just had to go, you know, talk to him. He wouldn't go talk to me. So the first words I said was, uh, well, how many fires did you put out today? <laughs> and, um, and that's kind of where it started. We attended the class together. Um, we, didn't, we didn't date during the class. Um, we just, the class was once a week and for about 13 weeks. And um, then after the class was over, he finally asked me out on a date. And um, we dated um, often for about three months and got married. And we loved each other. <laughs> and it was, it was good. It was, um, it was really good. We had um, the kids. Um, Brian was born um, uh, two years later and um, Bronson two years after that. My father um, was a, I had godly parents, 
And my father was a great, great influence in my life. And um, so we went to church. And um, I kind of think because of mom and daddy. But anyway, we went to church and, and life was good. Would you say that in those days of your marriage that you were living for the Lord? Uh, what was the spiritual connection through the life of that stage of your marriage? I'll have to say that we, uh, we enjoyed going to the clubs a lot. We enjoyed drinking a lot, having parties on the weekends. Um, we did a lot of that stuff, going out to clubs, doing clubs. We went to church on Sundays and uh, stuck one foot in heaven and the rest of the week, we kept the other foot in hell, I guess you might say. Uh, her parents were godly. Uh, actually, this, we both loved each other. We had a great time. We, we, we had a great time, but as we got married, and we, we still had these fun things, the parties and the stuff. But one thing you need to know before we got married, her parents nor my parents wanted us to get married, especially three months later, you know, after we just met each other. Uh, but we were happy. We, we thought we were madly in love, and we were. We did stuff. So her parents would go to church. My parents lived in Atlanta. Her parents stood in the core where we were. So I guess we go to church to kind of, you know, make it look like we're, do, we're, we're, we're good and that holy, you know, whatever, and then play the, the masquerade on the other side the rest of the time. So, yeah, we, we, we really weren't serving God, though we went to church some uh, and for, for a while, we, we really were involved in church and kind of drifted off of that stuff, you know. But uh, the enemy, he doesn't play fair. So Let's fast forward a little bit because I want to focus on a specific portion of your story. Um, you loved each other. You started a family together. Um, seemingly, life was good. Where did things start changing? How can two people who love each other deeply start a family together um, find themselves uh, in a position where uh, that all can change. What was that process like? What, what started the, the mystery of the one becoming two? I, th I think that, um, you know, when you first get married, um, you know, your spouse is everything, and you want to spend time with them, and it's good, and, and then life gets busy, and... Um, you have your kids, and um, everything else tends to come before your spouse. He's there, and, um, yeah, you can look after him, but it's after everything else. Um, I, where, and, and honestly, the, the enemy will take every opportunity that he has, every opportunity that he has. Um, our mistake, uh, we both grew up in Christian homes, but our mistake really was um, after my father died, who was such a great influence, he died um, when Brian was um, just a month old, and um, we stopped going to church. And I, I know that there's a lot of people who say that church is not important, that you can worship at home, that I don't have to attend a service, but for us, um, it was a big mistake um, because, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home, but I honestly was never trained to grow. I mean, does that make sense? You, you know, you get saved and then you just go to church. And so, um, anyway, 
we, we were just weak spiritually, and we quit going to church. And um, I stayed at home with the kids when they were little. I didn't work, and um, we were very poor, <laughs> um, you know, didn't have money to do things. And um, so I was um, at home all the time, and I was a good athlete, um, always had been. And so during that um, time... Um, I got asked to play softball, and so I, you know, we talked about it and decided that I could play, and so um, during that season, I was asked to, to play on a traveling team, and the traveling team traveled a lot, just every weekend um, in the summer, and I would leave, you know, on Friday, we would play tournaments and not come home till Sunday, and I was traveling all the states surrounding Georgia, so you know, I here was a mother of two little boys who would leave, you know, basically I just came to very, I became selfish. And I wanted, you know, I would say, well, I don't ever have anything for me. You know, you know, you go, you go to work and, you, you know, you have this. Um, but um, so that, that to me, that was the beginning was not putting my husband and my family first, not submitting to the Lord to do that. Um, he, you know, he tells me to submit to him, and because I submit to him, and I just didn't do that. I became very selfish and wanted to do my own thing and, and um, you know, and be good at it. And then um, while I was there, of course, there was a lot of partying and drinking um, that would happen on the weekends, and so I began to participate in that, and then um, you know, it just led from one thing to the other, and um, I finally, um, you know, that was the inch, that was the inch that I gave the enemy, was to, um, you know, for, to, for him, that lie that he told me, that I would be happier doing those things, instead of being at home and being a mom and being a wife, and so I um, decided and believed with all my heart that I wanted, didn't want to be married anymore. It wasn't that I didn't care for Gary. It wasn't that I didn't, that I hated him or that anything was wrong with him. It was just that I decided that I wanted to go have fun. You know, I was young and good and, you know, got lots of compliments from other men. And, and I just, um, I didn't want to be married anymore. And um, it is not, you know, we... I think I have a compassion for people more um, than a lot of people because the enemy will make you believe things that are not true. And I believe that with all my heart. And you could have come and told me that is not what, that's not what you really want. And I would say, yes, it really, you know, he makes you believe that. Um, he, he wanted me to believe that the grass was greener on the other side. Um, and so I asked Gary, you know, for the divorce. Um, I didn't want to be married anymore. Let me, before, before you talk, let me, let me ask her this way. Um, last week, we kind of outlined the fact that when two become one, in other words, when a married couple finds themselves at the place of divorce and not loving each other anymore, um, that we can most every time trace back to the model that the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 laid out for the responsibilities of husbands and wives. And for a wife, the responsibility is to submit 
to your husband as to the Lord. So in the same manner that we wholeheartedly submit to the Lord, we're to submit to our husband. You're saying that, and I'm asking this way because a lot of times when we talk about what went wrong, we, we tend to point the finger. And so instead of asking them to point fingers, I'm asking them to share their side of the story. How good of a job did you do submitting to him as to the Lord, even though you weren't particularly living for the Lord? Well, I, I mean, in the beginning, um, I, I sometimes think that, you know, if you're, if you're not taught that, if you're not, um, e- even the covenant that you make in marriage, that, you know, we, we don't, it's not in our hearts, really. I mean, you know, you say it, but it, you just, it's too easy, you know, to not, it's just easy to get out of it. And, you know, as far as submitting to him, I, um, you know, in the beginning, you know, I, I loved him. I put him on a pedestal, and, um, and he was everything. But then when I started having fun, and he, um, you know, I, we talked about me being gone a lot, but then it got to be a lot. You know, there's a difference in, you know, every now and then in a place where he can come and watch than to travel and be gone every week. And so there was some conflict that I, and, and I didn't do a good job submitting. There was times when he didn't want me to, to be, you know, you're gone every weekend. What are you doing? You know, and it was like, well, you said I could do this. And, um, you know, so I, you know, I didn't, I didn't do that. Um, not at all not, you know, not, not then, and, uh, and definitely not when I told him that I didn't want to be married to him anymore. Dad, if the role of a husband is to love your wife as Christ loved the church, meaning selflessly giving of yourself, sacrificing everything for her well-being, she's saying that she was gone a lot, and she became selfish, and she asked for the divorce, but in your early married years, leading up to the divorce, how good of a job did you do loving her as Christ loved the church? I did a good job in the beginning, I think. Um, and just a minute ago when you asked her a question, it is really, I told you it was hard to remember our past, and I told you when we, we did go to church. We drank and partied a lot when we dated. When we started going to church, we got sold out to church. We went to church every week, and we were serving in the church, and I almost forgot about this. And then you ask, what caused us to start drifting? And I think what led up to that was I remember that we were going to church a lot and very involved. And then there was a dispute in our church between a couple of families. And it got to be a battle back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And, and we just got tired of it and tired of it started drifting away. And then I had to go to the second shift and work on the second shift for a three years and not being able to go to church on Wednesdays made it easy to say, and we were working uh, 12, 14 hours, six days a week. So I, we, we pretty much stopped going to church. And what happened was we went back to our old ways. We started going to the clubs and never going to church. And we drifted totally the opposite from where we were. And I think that's what started our downfall and then led up to her playing ball and staying gone and stuff. And so in those days, I don't think either one of us treated each other like we should have. It, would, it got to be just jealous or just whatever. I don't know. We just, we just, just grew apart. What was, I remember as a, as a young boy, you being gone a lot too. Um, what, what did that look like? 
I guess when she started traveling in the summer and playing ball all the time, then in the wintertime, I loved to hunt, so I stayed hunting. I, I hunted and fished. I trout fishing, so I just stayed going all the time, too. So she did her thing, and I did my thing. It, it, we just drifted away. We cared for boys and did whatever we needed to do with them. And then when we had any free time, she did her thing, and I did mine. It appeared that way. So, yeah, I stayed going all the time in the wintertime, hunting, fishing. Uh, I'd leave. I'd have my stuff at the door, my hunting stuff on the hunting season. I'd get off work, I'd grab it, I'd hit the road, and a friend of mine, we'd stop and get some beer and some liquor, and we'd hit the road, and we we, we stayed going all weekend. I'd come back 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning on Monday morning and went to work and started the week over again. So two ships passing in the night. Summertime she's gone, wintertime you're gone. Living in the same house to the point where she's asking for a divorce, um, saying that she would rather live life apart. How did you feel about her in that moment and through the divorce process? Where did you guys land together? And what did being divorced look like for the two of you? I guess after it's, it's really hard to... When you don't have a relationship with God and you don't have a relationship with your wife the world starts looking better on the other side all the time. And so I guess just the things that, some details, it's just better to leave them buried, I guess. But just the way things begin to drift back and forth, you know, I just begin to just drift away and, and, and think there's gotta be something better than life than this, you know? I mean, this, this can't be the way I wanna live the rest of my life. You know, there's no relationship, there's, you just begin to don't care. You just get numb. You just begin to start looking, start looking into the future. You know, with, without that side of your life. Uh, for me, it was just, just, just kind of going, drawing, drawing numb, and and just don't care. Did you love her when you got divorced? Deep down, yes, I still did, but not knowing how to fix it not seeing any hope for it getting any better. Uh, I'm just ready to move on. Personally. What were the next steps? Two small kids, you're divorced. What's divorce life look like? Well, for us, divorce happened in 30 days. It was just that easy, you guys. It's way too easy. And during that process, um, you know, as we talked about some things this week, um, there are things that I blocked out that I don't really recall, um, but during the process, the attorney um, that I had um, did some things last minute that Gary didn't know about, and um, anyway, it was just a rough, rough divorce in the end, and um, we walked away from that with, uh, with Gary hating me. Um, he would not even... Um, talk to me. I mean, he just, he, he would tell me that he hated me. Um, so it was hard. Um, we had decided, um, I mean, you know, it was a cordial divorce until that, until that day, but we had decided that for expense sake, um, that we, and uh, you're going to think this is crazy, but we decided we were going to live in the same house. Um, we worked different shifts. Uh, we never saw each other. On um, the weekends, um, he would leave 
if I had, if it was my weekend to have the kids, and I would leave if it was his weekend to have the kids. And so we really never saw each other. Um, you know, we would discuss things about the boys, and but he did his thing and I did my thing. And um, in that life, um, probably for about a year, um, we lived that way. Um, we shared the expenses of the house, and it's kind of crazy, but I think it was a God thing, actually, maybe. But um, anyway, um, so while that was happening during that time of my life, um, I got um, started uh, dating a guy who was um, mixed in up in uh, drugs. Um, we drank a lot, and we, we did drugs and started doing some heavy drugs. And um, I, got, I was at a party one night. Um, and I walked into the kitchen, and they there was them cooking drugs. <laughs> I don't even know what they're doing, but it was just eye-opening to me. I was like, oh, my gosh, if, if the police come, I'm going to jail. I mean, it was like, oh, my, you know, what am I doing? And, and I walked back into the living room, you guys, and I just looked around the living room, and I saw all these people, all my, my friends, so high that, you know, some of them had passed out, and, and it was just like God opened, you know, he, he just kind of pulled these, this veil back, these scales over my eyes, and I looked at myself, and I saw me just like them. And it just, you know, during the time that I did all of that, um, I didn't become an alcoholic. I didn't get addicted to any drugs. And I know, I know now that God had his hand on me through that process. But that night, I walked out of that, that house, and I knew that I wanted Gary that I had made the biggest mistake of my life, that God had given me a good man, a wonderful, two wonderful little boys, and I wanted my family back. And um, I wanted us to, you know, be a family again. And so um, I, that's, that's when I went to Gary and... Um, and asked him about it, and he was like, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. I hate you. I mean, he would, he would tell me, you know, I hate you. I won't ever, ever have anything to do with you again. Um, that was, so there I, you know, there I was. There were nights I can remember sitting in a floor with a gun and gun laying beside me, and if it hadn't been for for my babies, I don't know that I would even be here. I was, I had messed up. The enemy told me the grass was greener on the other side, and the grass was not greener on the other side. The grass is dead on the other side. Um. It was it was hard. <laughs> it was hard for me. Um, after, um, after a while, um, you know, Gary, do you want to start how we got back together? Or yet or let that um, 
she comes to you and says she wants to get back together. And you resisted. Why did you resist? And when she was in the process of wanting to reconcile, where were you in relation to that for that period of time? I guess I was still living um, hurt, disappointment, pain, um, a lot of water under the bridge for both of us, and um, I just didn't want to go back. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want to reopen that wound. I didn't want to get cut again. I didn't want to get hurt again. So I just threw a shield up and just kept it up. We know that you got back together. At what point did you decide you wanted to marry her again? Well, one weekend, you and your brother went to Atlanta, spent a weekend with your grandparents, my parents. We had become a couple before that. And um, yeah, we're, we're seeing this area in, in different light. I'll tell it the way I remember. She was thinking we were already kind of close together, but at this point, um, I was still partying and doing stuff. I think we had decided to kind of do a little more together and stay, you know, do some things together, but still weren't really there. But anyway, she was gone or something one weekend. I can't remember. But when you guys came home, when, you, when they brought you home, they were so excited. They had these little suitcase things that they each one had their own little stuff in, their clothes and stuff. And, and they came in, and they, they were giving me a hug. I was on my knees, and they were hugging me and, you know, this stuff. And, and they were running and throwing their suitcase open and getting their little finger paintings out. And they said, oh, 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 look, 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 look what I did. Look what we did in Sunday school. And, 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 and they were both running and getting, oh, look, look, look at this. And it was popsicle sticks and the stuff they made. They were just keep running three or four times. They would run over there and grab it. And Brian, Bronson's brother, his older brother, he came over and showed me something. Said, "Look, look, look!" And then all of a sudden, he just looked me straight in the eyes because I'm on my knees hugging him. And he looks me straight in the eyes. He said, "I love going to church. Why do you never take us to church?" And it was almost like a, I don't know, it's like a, I know it's the Holy Spirit. It's just like something went straight through my heart. And so, I decided on Sundays I would take them to church and drop them off for Sunday school and pick them up. I didn't go to church. I think Kathy eventually after that time started going to church with them but at first I would take them and drop them off and pick them up and then I would either take them to her or take them to her mother's house and I would go to the lake and still party and stuff but in that time frame all what happened was she began to go more and more and more to church and then they had a revival one weekend uh, like the old time revivals it went all week long and you want to say something in between there before I Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we had, we had, we did um, at one point decide, you know, Gary decided we could be a couple again. And, um, but even during that time, I can't tell you the times that he would tell me because I wanted to marry him. I mean, I wanted us to get married and he would say, I'll never marry you. I hate you. And he would, I don't know how many times he, he would tell me that, um, and then when um, we st when Brian came and but but he did you know he did let say we could be a couple you know so we started uh, kind of living the man wife relationship um, but it was just 
you know, for him. For me, I was, I was desperate, y'all. I mean, I would do anything. I would do anything for my, to have that family back. And um, so, um, I mean, and I took the rejection, and I took the words that he would say to me, um, but because I wanted him back. But um, once we started going to church, um, I would, we would walk in the church doors and um, be in the choir that I am. I, I mean, I could put one foot in the church, and I would start crying. And, and this was a Baptist church, y'all. And, that you know, you don't just cry in a Baptist church like that because they think, you know, what's wrong? <laughs> so, well, there was a lot wrong. But um, the pastor called me um, one, t- one day, and he said, will you come and talk to me? And so I said, yes. And he said, why do you cry? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I cry. And he said, well, I think you're under conviction. And... Um, even though Gary and I had been married before, we were not married, and we were living together, and that's sin. It is sin when you're not married and you're living together. So we, um, he said, I believe the Lord is, is, you know, you're under conviction. And so I left that day, and, I, you know, I had to get, I had to get along with the Lord. Um, I, I mean, I was like, is that true? And so I, I went into this little prayer room at Ebenezer Church, and I was just um, praying and, and, and asking God, you know, you know, Lord, I, I want to live for you. It, you know, he was drawing me to live a life for him. And he was saying, I need you to choose me. And you can't live with Gary and, and, and be right with me. And I was like, but God, I can't lose him again if I go back and he won't marry me, I'm going to lose him. I cannot lose him again. At least I'm in the house with him. And he was like, and I, I remember these words vividly. And he said, Kathy, he said, you won't never lose me. And it was, it was a choice that I made that day to give my life to Jesus and to give my life wholeheartedly to Jesus no matter what. It meant for the future, but I prayed, God, please, please, please let him marry me. I'm going to go ask him to marry me one more time, (laughs) and I did, and he said no. He said, we tried it. It didn't work. We're not doing it again, and so um, I left. I took the boys, and we moved in with my mom, Um, and that, during that time, is when the revival happened at that church. We, we both were taking the boys to church. Crazy. I know we're crazy, but um, we would take them to church. I wanted my kids to know about Jesus. You know, I grew up that. I wanted them to know everything. I wanted them to get saved. You know, I wanted them to know. And so we would take them to church. And then, um, and then that's when the revival happened. And um, so... Um, so just to be on the same page here, you guys met and fell in love. You got married. You started a family. Um, over time, you decided that you would rather live apart. You asked for a divorce. You guys separated but lived in the same house. And then you started dating other people. And God opened your eyes to who you had become. And you decided you wanted to marry dad again. And you guys started dating again, all living in the same house, still not married. And dad, 
though you wanted to marry him, he said, I'll date you, but we're not getting married. I mean, we're not going to do that. And God convicted you, and you got to a point in your life where you decided God was more important than dad. And you decided that even though you wanted to marry him, you were going to stop living with him to put God before dad. She came to you and said, you're the man of my dreams. I have made a mistake. I won't back together. And you said, not going to happen. She moved out. What event took place, let's go back to this revival we've referenced, that caused you to love her again? Okay, so we have a revival at the church. And I didn't go very often like she did with the boys, but occasionally I go. So for some reason, I went to that revival. And the first night, I thought the pastor had talked to the revivalist about me because he was, I called him Pinocchio thing. I'm on the back row. And about, he was, you know, everything he said was to me was like, you know, just, it was just, he was pointing straight to me and he probably didn't even point his finger, but I called him Pinocchio finger because by the end of the night I was under the pew. <laughs> and I decided I wouldn't go. I went back the second night. I thought they went through my garbage that day and found out stuff, you know. And so I said, I'm not going back the next night. And went the next night and I thought they'd literally hired a detective. He had pictures and they, because he was preaching to me every night, you know, just, and, and I know it was God bringing us together. And at the end of the week, just, the, he, he began to talk and, and I go through the experience, but anyway, it's like God, Begin to talk to me. I didn't hear him preaching anymore. He began to talk to me. And I was under so much conviction when he finally gave the invitation. And, you know, usually your Baptist church, you just go down and talk to the pastor and he'll pray for you, have somebody. But I just went, I never seen anybody do it. I went, walk, walk by the pastor, the evangelist. I got on my knees on the floor and I said, God, I don't know if I need to get saved. I don't know if I need to recommit my life to you. I don't know what you call it. All I know is I'm going to give all of me I know to me, to you. And if you'll give me a second chance, I'll serve you till I die. In a minute. Because he began to talk to me some things about my life and about my future after death. And um, when I got up that moment, I felt so light. I literally thought I was about to float off the floor because of God. It took so much weight and burden off of me. And I meant what I said that day. I will serve you till I die. A few days later, I'm driving down the road, and God told me, he says, I need you. Um, he said, when you were 15, I called you to preach. And I'm like, really? And all of a sudden, the Spirit, I remember that day exactly. I remember the calling, and I remember saying, and before I could even say what, I've, what I told God, God said, I never called you to go to Africa. Because what I said was, I'm not going to Africa. And before I could even say that thought, God said, I never called you to go to Africa. I just called you to preach. I'm like, wow. And he said, you took vows and a covenant in marriage. I've got a purpose and a plan for your life still. I need you to make those vows right. And I'm like, no, I hate her. I'm not going to marry her. <laughs> and at that moment, I felt the presence of God begin to just pull back. And I knew that darkness. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. I can't not do it without you anymore. And I said, if I got to do that, then you've got to give me my love back because I hate her. I really do. In another day or two, I think I was driving down the road one day, and they were still living at her mama's. And I passed by the road where her mama lives on. You can't even see the house. It was miles down the road. And when I went by, I just kind of looked at the road, and my heart just went, Whew. And I'm like, 
whoa. It was just like the first time I ever met her, and I didn't even see her. And I'm like, so I knew it was God, and I knew we had a plan for our family. And so I think the next day I called her, and I said, hey, you want to go out to eat, and you want to talk? And she said, yeah. And I went. <laughs> and so we got together and went to eat, and we talked, and we decided, hey, you know what? It was God's plan for, for us to remarry, for us to make our vows right, for us to put God first. And after she did and I did, God put us back together and put our family back together. And then we threw everything away that didn't glorify God. We had a motto in our house, if it don't glorify God, TV, drinking, whatever, whatever it was, if it wouldn't glorify God, we weren't going to do it. TV programs and everything, and our lives changed. I started doing devotions for our family. I started being the husband. Uh, I started being the father. I started staying at home. I started doing things. Everybody was important in my family after God. And that's what, that's what happened to us. Isn't that great? Let me, read our, let me read our scripture for today in light of that. First uh, Corinthians 7, starting in verse number 17. Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. I don't understand that, but was a man un uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. He's referencing a covenant here. Circumcision was a sign of a covenant with God. He's referencing a covenant here. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each one should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each man as responsible to God should remain in the situation God called him to. And here's the truth about marriage that we don't focus on a lot. But marriage is a covenant. And it's not just between a man and a wife. It's also between God. And the greatest marriages are marriages where the covenant between one another isn't the only covenant that's kept, but the covenant between God and each spouse is kept. And what we see in their story is that when they took God out of the equation, their marriage crumbled. And there was really no hope for it, especially in Dad's eyes. But it was God... While mom was out in her ways, that opened her eyes to see that she had broke covenant, not just with dad, but with him. And as she made things right with God, he put a love for her back for dad. And though dad resisted it through that revival service, God did a work in his life. And as he restored his covenant with God, it was only then that God restored a love for his wife. And what I want to say to us today is, is that if you hope to be married one day, if you are married today, I understand that some marriages can last years and years with God not even in the scene. But the design of marriage when God created Adam and Eve was between Adam, Eve, and God. 
And as they grow closer to God, they actually grow closer to one another. And if we're going to have the marriages, every, every divorce story doesn't end like this. I understand that. But the truth that we can lean in today is that God's called us to stay in covenant with him before our spouse. And if that covenant is upheld, then the covenant between the two grows closer and tighter as time goes by. So here's how I want to end. I think it's just an incredible story, and I'm sorry for having you guys rehash all that and, and relive all those ugly moments again. But Dad, if you could say anything to the men in the room, specifically the married men, or really all of us men together, anyone who may hope to be married one day, what would you say to the men in the room? Well, first, I want to start with a young man. You guys on the front row, you guys who are still in high school, maybe college. When you start dating, respect the girl. Put God between you and her. Um, seek your parents' guidance in that person that you're thinking about maybe even marrying. But put God first in your life. For, for you men out there, let God be the center of your life because if you want to be the real man, I mean, I think growing up there was just an unwritten covenant. It's like real men don't cry, we're tough. When I got my life straightened out, I began to eat the Bible hours and hours a day because I knew God called me and I would study. And one night when I was reading, I seen the shortest verse in the Bible. It said, Jesus wept. And I'm like, why did Jesus, why, why did he cry? And I realized because his friend died. But at that point, I realized that real men do cry. So when you put God's center in your life, your family will be the center of your life. Have devotions in your, life, in your house if you have children. And I'll ask you a question. Have your children ever seen you reading your Bible and praying on a regular basis? Have they ever got up in the middle of the night, needed some water, go to, scared, and, and seen you sitting and praying, reading your Bible? Because you're the example of how they're going to grow up. So I would just tell you this. Put God in the center of your life. The world gets crazy and busy, but don't let it get too busy that you forget to read and pray and lift up your family and yourself before God. Mom, what would you say to the women? Um, well, I mean, the same thing, uh, basically, is that... Um, to always keep your husband um, first, well, God first, but then as far as your family goes, even before your children, and it, it's, it's your husband. Your children grow up and leave, and then you're with your husband. And, and if you don't put him first, um, then that time is a struggling time. And, and, and ladies, I know life is busy for us women, and I, I'm not saying it's not busy for men, but there's, there, we carry a lot a lot of weight on our shoulders um, to take care of our husbands, our home, our jobs in some cases, our children, uh, the church, everything else that we're involved in, and life can just get so busy. And um, I guess that what I think is really, really important, which is something that I never did, you know, we all we all want to be beautiful. Um, we all want to, uh, you know, if you, if you had a big wedding and you had a, uh, a, a beautiful dress and you were at your, your most gorgeous self, um, you know, 
that's how we want to feel. And um, Jesus is coming back for his bride. And his bride is going to be beautiful just like that. He's, you know, white and spotless. And um, I was thinking about, you know, what I could say to you ladies. And, and the Lord honestly showed me um, a vision um, of a bride and, um, you know, a beautiful bride, but she had armor on. And the armor, you know, when we think about the armor of God, we think about the helmet and the breastplate, and we, we see it like a soldier, um, you know, like a man, the man's armor. But, but this armor was gorgeous. It was uh, the, the, um, uh, the veil, the helmet of salvation was a veil, and it was just beautiful with lace, and, and, but across it, you know, it said salvation, and it said, I'm his forever. And, and then the, the dress was just, you know, it was just so beautiful, and on it, you know, the, instead, the, it had, I'm righteous, and it's pu- I'm pure, and I'm holy because of the blood. And, you know, I saw that, the, the, a beautiful sash that said, uh, you know, God is truth, and the devil's a liar. He is a liar. Um, and, and, you know, and the sword, it was a sword. It was the Word of God, and it just said, you know, the, it, life. The sword had life on it. And the shoes, these rocked. <laughs> the shoes were not some, they, they were the high, very beautiful high heels, and all I could see was us stomping the devil in the head with those, with those heels. And, and I guess what I want to say, but, oh, but, but I saw that beautiful bride, but over to the side, I saw that awesome warrior soldier that was my husband that was looking at me with eyes of love with his armor on. And he was looking at me with love and protection, and I knew that I wanted to submit to him just like I submit to the Lord. So, ladies, the grass is not greener on the other side. No matter how tragic or dull or whatever you think your life is, put your man, make time for your husband. Spend time with him. And if you will treat him and honor him and submit to him, he will love you. He won't, he won't want to do anything but love you. Awesome. Will you guys give my mom and dad a hand?